Hi there, I'm Coach Craig Kenneth, and in today's video, I'm going to be talking about my partner's anxiety is driving me crazy. So in this video, I'm going to be talking about what it's like or what it can be like to be in a relationship with someone who has an anxious attachment style. So a lot of you guys who are watching may have an anxious attachment style yourself and watching this video is going to help you gain some clarity and some insight into how your behavior is affecting your partner. I got a really good email here from Adam who says he and his girlfriend keep fighting because she has a high level of anxiety. He says, Hello Craig, I was hoping you could help me with my girlfriend. I've been dating her for just under a year now and I'm not sure we're gonna last much longer. I'm a pretty patient guy but I'm really getting exhausted by my girlfriend's behavior. She is anxious all the time. I had no idea until I watched your video the real reason relationships fail. That video was incredible. Can you please help me understand her better? I know that her mother was an alcoholic and would often go out drinking leaving her at home with her older brother. She was sexually abused by a neighbor numerous times when she was young. She oftentimes can't remember all the details, but it was pretty bad. Well, unfortunately, sexual abuse is a lot more common than a lot of people even want to acknowledge. And I think that um, one in four girls reports it and I think the statistics would probably be a lot higher if more girls weren't so afraid of all the consequences that come with it. You know, not consequences like they've done something wrong, but they feel shame, they feel guilt, they know other people may look at them differently, and so there's a lot that goes on with it and why they don't report it. But trauma and anxiety affect your memory, and it often makes you feel like you're in like a fog-like state. And, you know, sometimes people can repress abuse and abusive situations. And when something is so traumatic, it kind of... Our brain can't handle it sometimes, and it forces things onto the unconscious. Now, in extreme cases, the brain can actually dissociate and this is how people have multiple personalities what happens is is that like say somebody had an extreme case of sexual abuse sometimes the brain can't handle the trauma so it splits and these other personalities develop to help handle the trauma. It's a coping mechanism in a sense. It's its not, a, well, it is a healthy one, but it's not a healthy one. It's not healthy in the sense of, because look at how the trauma, how intense and painful it was, but it's, it's doing it to help you survive, right? So what happens is, is that if you kind of imagine a pizza, right, before it's cut, Imagine that each time somebody had a trauma happen, 
like a severe trauma, like severe abuse. It's like cutting another slice, and each slice is like a new personality. And each slice takes on a part of the trauma. And so that's how people handle these traumas, is that each personality takes on a part of the trauma that the other personality doesn't remember. Okay? That's how they survive it. It's like they're all responsible for handling a little piece. And so, you know, when someone has uh, a lot of traumatic events, that's typically why they have more personalities. Get it? All right, I kind of got derailed there for a minute, but that gives you some good indication of what happens with extreme trauma and why people dissociate. And I le let me just throw this out there real quick before I get into this. One of the greatest documentaries I've ever seen is called The Jinx, and it's about Robert Durst, who... Um, I don't want to get into it because I really want you to check it out, but... Um, I, as I was watching it, all I could think is, this guy is dissociative. And the reason that I think that is because he starts doing these blinks like this. And it's him switching. It's, it's an indicator that somebody's switching in between the personalities. So check out that documentary. It's really good called The Jinx. Um, so let me get back into the email. He says... Uh, his girlfriend's behavior is so erratic. He said, I'm overwhelmed and confused. We argue over small things every day, like female th friends texting him, me wanting to go out with my guy friends, even me wanting to go see my parents for a few hours. It's like every little thing causes her to get angry. Okay, so first and foremost, you have to understand that this girl is terrified. She wasn't taken care of by her parents, and the people who were supposed to keep her safe didn't. So, you know, she's overwhelmed, you know. And remember, I've talked about this before, if a trauma is bad enough, we can't separate it from the past. So, um, the feelings that she's feeling from the past are coming up in the present. Those abandonment feelings from the past are coming up in your present relationship. I'm going to get into that a little bit more in a few minutes. Um, but you have to understand, she is absolutely scared to death that you are going to abandon her. She doesn't feel safe. When her anxiety is triggered, she feels scared and alone and she doesn't know how to soothe herself. She never learned how to soothe herself. A lot of times, the way we learn to soothe ourselves is in our early childhood by hearing our parents soothe us. And so we slowly incorporate that, internalize it, and we learn to soothe ourselves. So if you have a parent that has an anxious attachment style and they have a lot of anxiety, they don't know how to soothe you. So you don't know how to soothe yourself. See the, how that works? Um, so, in this case, you know, you have to understand that your partner, your girlfriend, has never felt loved. She's never felt understood. And she's been repeatedly hurt and had her needs neglected and overlooked. She was traumatized 
by having to attach to others. Attaching to others doesn't make her feel safe. It doesn't make her feel good. And remember, I've talked about this too before, uh, attaching to others is the primary way that human beings feel safe and loved and comforted. So something that's supposed to make her feel safe, loved, and comforted, comforted makes her feel traumatized, terrified, scared, and so on. So, um, one of the great things about understanding attachment styles is how helpful it is to understanding human behavior. And the best way I can kind of describe it is like, for me, it's like having a crystal ball and being able to see what's going on before I even hear everything. So that's one of the great things that you guys will get extra help with when you're working with me is you can just tell me a couple of things and right away I'm going to pick things up that you're going to be like, how did you know that? And it's because, you know, I have such a good understanding of this stuff on attachment styles and trauma and all that stuff so um, I can help you guys see things clearly and know what to do and how to handle it. So here are just some of the behaviors that you can expect from somebody who has an anxious attachment style. Now remember, the more trauma or the more anxious they are, the more neglected they were in their childhood, the more intense and frequent you would see these behaviors. Does that make sense? There's a correlation to how much they're exhibiting the behavior as to what happened to them in their childhood. So keep that in mind. So, here are some of the things that you can expect. Um, an inability to listen to you. Uh, a lot of times when somebody has an anxious attachment style, they're in their own world because they're focused on their anxiety and trying to soothe their anxiety. And remember, they probably don't know how to do it. Um, they have a loud, fast-paced voice. Uh, Non-stop talking. And it's a real struggle to have a give-and-take conversation with them. It's just you sitting there listening to them go on and on and on. And it's because they're anxious. They're trying to soothe their anxiety by trying to connect with you and comfort themselves. But for the other person, it's just like... Is this story ever going to end? It can get really frustrating, especially when it's going on day in and day out. Um, they just, like I said, they just keep talking and talking and talking. Alright, hypervigilant to you leaving them and feeling disconnected. So, you have to remember, they have a preoccupied fear of abandonment. And any small sense connection. Remember, they're hypervigilant. They're always monitoring for disconnection. Every small little thing they're looking for. They don't even mean to do it, but it's because they've been doing it for so long with their parents and their caregivers. Now they do it with their romantic partners. So, anytime they sense a disconnection, whether it's real or imagined, remember, it doesn't have to necessarily be something real. 
It could be something like, you know, you, you want to go out with your friends and they just kind of take on these thoughts of, oh, he doesn't want to spend time with me. Oh, what if he's going to see somebody else? What if he's going to see another girl? So it's not even necessarily a reflection of you doing anything wrong. It's just that it triggered their anxiety. And if they reach out to you and try and, you know, say, well, I don't want you to go out with your friends. I want you to spend time with me. And you say, well, you know, I already have these plans or you don't respond in a way that they don't like. They're probably going to have a meltdown when they don't get the reaction from you and they don't feel that connection and that safety with you. Here are some other things to look for. Controlling behavior. They're trying to control you. Why? Because they don't want you leaving the house, talking to friends, going places without them because they're afraid you're going to leave them. It's not that they want to control you. It's that they're afraid to let you go. And remember, I've, I always say, I've been saying remember a lot in this video. <laughs> I know I have a lot of videos out there for you guys. Okay, I've talked about this in other videos where I say, the very thing that we're afraid to happen, we actually cause to happen. So by them trying to control you and you just getting more and more exhausted by that behavior, it's like it, the more they try and control you, the more you want to push them away. And this goes for you, guys. If you try and control your partner because you feel disconnected and scared, they're ultimately just going to feel more and more you know, trapped and push you away. So, um, here's some more things to look for. Lashing out and getting angry quickly. They bec uh, become irate quickly. Cursing and yelling when they don't get their way. Emotional meltdowns. Arguments can escalate very quickly. Because that anxiety gets triggered and they lose emotional self-control. They don't know how to soothe themselves. It's not easy. You, know, you have to imagine, they haven't learned how to do it. Um, somebody that has an anxious attachment style might attach to somebody new relatively quickly, like moving into somebody after only a month. They have an anxious attachment style. They're trying to get those needs met. And remember, we're only as needy as our unmet needs. Think about it. We're only as needy as our unmet needs. So, when somebody projects all these powerful, intense feelings onto somebody they barely know, it tells me that they've had a lot of unmet, unmet needs and they're hoping that this person is going to finally meet them. And it also says to me that there's a good chance they have an attachment injury. You have to understand that for them, they didn't feel loved. They didn't feel listened to. They didn't feel important. And over time, attaching to others didn't make them feel good. It hurt. Physically, really hurt. It was traumatic, it was painful, and it is scary. So, if you want to know how traumatic or intense the hurt was for them, look at their behavior. Look at how intense and um, upset that they get in the present moment.
and then try to imagine them as a child feeling those feelings because that same intensity, that same level of intensity in the present moment was what they experienced in their childhood. See the correlation? So, what do you do? You're sitting there thinking, well, this is a lot to take in. Yeah, it is. It is. And really, you have to have empathy for them. Put yourself in their shoes. I know it can be incredibly difficult at times, but you have to look at how they can't calm themselves down. They can't soothe themselves. And, and why? You know, just take a look at what it would have been like to be in their childhood and understand them. Imagine them as a child being upset, that upset, but no one is soothing them. They feel scared, alone, terrified, unloved. And it's not easy to get over. It isn't. It takes time. And even for myself, as hard as I've worked to get where I'm at, I still have a difficult time grasping how much pain and trauma I faced growing up because as an adult and I look back at my childhood um, I, I realized I was ignored and I know because my memory of my childhood is very foggy I don't have a lot of memories of my childhood and it's because I had a lot of anxiety and there was a lot of tension at my house with my stepfather and he was always screaming and yelling he would drink and I think I just kinda went into my room and played with my toys I didn't have siblings so I was kinda by myself and just in my own world tuning them out and the arguing that was going on because it was going on pretty intensely on a pretty frequent basis. So it's kind of crazy but I don't have a lot of memories especially before the age of 12. And I look at things like in my own childhood where I didn't want to eat and I was very very controlling about what I would eat and what I would put in my mouth. And I think it's because I felt like I had very little control of my life. So I would control what I was going to put in my mouth. No one was going to make me do it. And if my mom or my stepdad would tell me to eat, I wasn't going to do it. And if they tried to make me sit at the table, I was going to outweigh them. Nothing was going to get me to do that when I didn't want to. It was a control issue. Um, Especially when it came to somebody saying, would you try this? If somebody said, would you try this? It was immediately like, nope, I'm not trying that. Nope. And nothing anybody was going to say or do would make me try it. Now, actually, as I've gotten older, I, I actually, you know, have worked through this. And I do try things. And if somebody says, try this, assuming it's something reasonable, I, I do now. And uh, even my friends see the change in me. They're like, you're really going to try that? Um, so, it's a step in the right direction for me. So, you know, 
I, you know, I'm talking about all of these difficult things that you guys go through. So, you know, I will give you some self-disclosure here and share a little bit about my life so you understand why I do what I do and why I do these videos for you guys. And, you know, my life, I remember crying when I was really, you know, upset and saying to my stepfather, you're so mean to me. All the time, I always remember saying to him, you're mean to me. And, you know, I was 28 at the time, but, you know, no, I was just kidding. <laughs> I was little, you know, and I remember just constantly saying, you're mean to me. And, you know, it's interesting. One of my best friends and I had a talk recently, and he knew it was bad for me. And even as a kid, he knew it was bad for me. And he brought up this one memory that he had. And after he told me, I remembered it. But I, I didn't remember it until he told me. But one day, my stepfather told me and him to get the rocks out of the pool. And he said he would give us like a quarter for each rock that we brought up to the surface. And so we went and collected all the rocks. And when we were done... My dad counted them up, and he gave my friend the money, but he didn't give me the money. And so, you know, I don't remember how old I was. I'm probably around nine-ish. And so my friend, he didn't even take the money, because he was like, I guess he felt so bad that my stepdad didn't give me the money. And he went home and said to his mom, why is, why is Don so mean to Craig? I mean, this was something that happened 30 years ago, and it was so powerful to him that he remembered that. So, in a way, a big part of the reason that I give you guys these videos, and I put out this content for you guys for free, and, I, you know, some coaches want to charge thousands of dollars to put out, you know, videos and programs, and that's their business. They can do how, however they want. But just to give you an understanding of me and why I do this for you guys, I think I try and extend to you and give you guys the kindness that I wish I had gotten. And I wished that I had been listened to as a kid. And that's part of the reason why I became a therapist. To give you guys what I had desperately wished forgetting. And I'm going to share this story with you guys because this is a really powerful example of how I didn't feel heard. And um, it, I, I don't remember how old I was. I was probably about... I guess I want to say like seven-ish. And I had a pet rabbit that, you know, lived in a cage in my bedroom. And my mom and stepdad told me one morning that they were going to put the rabbit and the cage outside to get some fresh air. I don't know if the rabbit was stinking up the room. I don't know what the deal was. I don't remember that. But I do remember, and this is how traumatic it was, that I was begging them and screaming at them, crying. I was just in a rage, upset. I couldn't be, you know, consoled. Don't put the rabbit outside. Don't you put the rabbit outside. He, he's going to die. It's too hot outside. I was just so irate, so upset. 
And they're trying to tell me, no, he's going to be fine. We're going to give him water. He'll be in the shade. And I just could not stop. And I couldn't calm down. They sent me to And all day, I was anxious about this rabbit. You know, I was, I was attached to it. You know, I really cared for it. I loved this little thing. And, you know, I was just in this daze all day, just wondering about this rabbit. And... You know, I was so scared that it was going to die in the heat. You know, it was up in New York. And so it wasn't like in the southern states. But something in me told me, this rabbit is going to die. And, I, you know, I remember I ran home. And I first thing, I ran outside to check on her. And she was dead. If you can't imagine how powerful, how sad, how hurt, how angry I was. I can still remember that moment like it happened yesterday. And what do I tell you? If a trauma is bad enough, you can't separate it from the past, from the present. And I still remember that moment of just, just being devastated. I begged them, I pleaded with them, I screamed, I yelled. They didn't hear me. They didn't listen to me. They didn't do what I asked them to do. You know, as a result, they killed the rabbit. And I was furious. And it still makes me upset. Because when somebody doesn't listen to you, it really, over time, just makes you angry. Because you're, you're wanting to feel heard and connected to. And I didn't. And as an adult, I understand that my mom had a lot of anxiety. She was a great person and a wonderful person to so many people. But she had a lot of anxiety. And because of it, she couldn't hear me because she couldn't soothe her own anxiety. And so I didn't feel heard a lot of the times. She was in survival mode. And I can look at that objectively as an adult and see things clearly. But, you know, growing up it was frustrating to not feel like I was heard or validated. So, what do you guys think I'm unconsciously attracted to? If you've been watching my videos, you probably have a good idea. I'm attracted to women who don't hear me. Uh, women who don't validate me. Women who I am overly sensitive to their needs while ignoring my own. And I have to consciously focus on what I want in order to attract the right woman. Because what do I talk about in my videos about attraction? We're attracted to um, the familiar and... We are attracted to the negative traits of our caregivers in an effort to try and repair it. Now, there's some debate as to whether or not that's actually the reason, but a lot of the great psychotherapists that I love believe that, and so I think that there's truth to that. We're trying to repair what we didn't get from our caregivers. 
the things that they neglected on us on, we're, we're trying to repair that. And that's why we're attracted to people that hurt us in the same way as our caregivers. And I heard a great quote by Harville Hendricks who says, I only want what I need from someone who can't give it to me. I'm going to say that again. I only want what I need from someone who can't give it to me. So, something to think about, right? Um, in closing, if you want to make a relationship work with someone who has had a trauma or an anxious or an avoidant attachment style, you're going to have to have empathy. You have to understand they are very afraid of being abandoned. Their hypervigilance is always going to be causing them to look for minute things to see if you're lo uh, leaving them, you're going to abandon them. And when they perceive something as a threat of abandonment, it's going to trigger their anxiety and they're going to have emotional meltdowns. Becoming conscious and aware of this is incredibly powerful and helpful. It's one of the best things that you can do um, for yourself is to become conscious and aware of what's going on within you and why you do these things. And for your partner, if you have someone that has an attachment style like this or they have uh, attachment traumas, you need to understand them and why they're going through this. And they can heal. That's the great thing, is that when you can be empathetic towards them and understanding to them and be present with them and be curious with them about what's going on with them and why they're like the way they are and understand them, that will actually help heal them. So, um, be, learn to become more conscious of it Recognizing it will help you become aware of it in the present moment. When it, Now, it's not going to happen all at once, but after some time where you both start to see the pattern and you can recognize what's going on in the present moment, you can change the way you act towards your partner and those of you that are having the anxiety can learn to regulate it and soothe yourself. So... If you like this video and you'd like to see me do more videos like it, put a like on there. It takes you a few seconds, but I really do look at it when I'm trying to decide on more content for you guys. Subscribe to my channel because I post videos Monday through Friday. And remember, when you want to get my help personally, go to my website, AskCraig.net, and sign up for the coaching option that works best for you. I'm Craig Kenneth, and I will talk with you soon.